song, and I'm sure you were blessed in the hearing of them, as uh, I was. We're going to turn in the Word of God this evening, please, to the book of Acts and the chapter 18. The book of Acts and the chapter 18, we have a short reading. It's from the verse 12, and we're going to read down to the verse 17, a little incident in the life of the Apostle Paul. Very instructive incident indeed. Acts chapter 18, please. And we'll commence our reading at the verse 12 here, the word of the Lord. It says, And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, Achaia the, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I would bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And all the Greeks took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. Amen. May God bless the public reading of his word. Again, just for a moment or two, let us seek, let us seek the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we rejoice tonight that we're found in the house of God in a gospel meeting, a place where the Word of God has been propagated and sung in the reading of the Scriptures, and now it be in the preaching of Thy Word. We need Thy power to preach the arm of flesh. It will surely fail. We dare not trust our own. We can say tonight that all human skill is vain, but we're glad, Lord, that You've promised the Spirit of God and we pray that as your word is sounded forth from this pulpit tonight, that some dear soul, still without Christ, will find him as a pearl of great price. Turn to the Savior and make no delay, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The thought of being hauled before a court in another country by a very powerful lobby within that country would fill many of us with fear. And especially when that lobby uh, were united in their opposition against us. For it says there in the verse 12 that the Jews, they made insurrection with one accord, complete unity among them, with one accord against the Apostle Paul. And it was they who brought him to the judgment seat. However, for Paul, it was all power for the course. There are two more court appearances in the book of Acts, with a third one pending as the written record of his life draws to a close. He survived them all except for his last one, 
when humanly speaking he was condemned to die. And he died, and here is the victory. He died as one of those glorious martyrs of the Christian faith. In our passage before us here, verses 12 to 17, we have the first case that he faced, brought, as we have said, by these Jews, brought to the courtroom of Gallio, who was the deputy of Archaea at that time. He was the legal man, the magistrate, the judge. And this is where we meet this man, and we don't meet him again. He just has these five or six verses to himself. It's here that he enters in forever to the records of sacred Scripture. The record might be brief, but it is not without its drama. And I believe it is very instructive for us in this gospel meeting. It will give us this evening some serious things to think about, especially if you're still unsaved. You will be brought tonight through the preaching face to face with great eternal matters. The first thing as we look at the passage, and we'll look at it as a whole tonight, not a text as such, but number one, we have here the justice which Gallio displayed. The justice which Gallio displayed. Look at verse 14. Uh, when he heard the charge against uh, uh, the apostle Paul, the charge being that this, this fellow persuades, persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to uh, open his mouth, then Gallio interrupted. And he said, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. You see, Gallio here soon concluded, strictly from a legal point of view, he was a legal man, that this case should never have come to court at all. We're starting to hear that more and more, aren't we, in these days in which we live, because there's people going to court for all kinds of things. And I'm thinking of that recent court case when two ladies, the wags uh, of the footballers, had their little spat, and it made its whole way up to the very top of uh, the courts and the land. It really should never have gone there at all. And that's what uh, here we have Galileo saying. He's saying, look, this, this, you're wasting my time. That's what he's saying. This, this should never have come this far. And he rightly sets out the only type of matters that he should be dealing with in his court. He describes it there as a matter of wrong or of wicked lewdness. Now, the word lewdness there has kind of changed its meaning just a little bit. He means there the whole idea is of mischief or of a vicious crime. We think of lewdness more with the scarlet end of things, the uncleanness and so on. But it was more than that when he used these words. He says, look, you can only really come into my court and expect me to judge on the matter if it is a criminal matter, a matter of wrong or of a vicious crime. 
But the interesting part of his speech at this part is his use of the word reason. That's the key word there in verse 14. O ye Jews, he said, if it were a matter of wrong, then reason would be with me, that I should bear with you. Listen to your case, and then uh, give my judgment. And he's telling us something here with this use of the word reason. He is telling us that sin, the breaking of the law of God, for that's what sin is, the transgressing of God's law, sin is a most unreasonable thing. A most unreasonable thing. And this ought to concern us all tonight because the Scripture assures us that there is not a just man upon the earth who does good and sins not. In other words, we're all sinners. Every one of us in thought, in word, and in deed have broken the word of God. We have sinned against the Lord. And sin is very unreasonable, first of all, because of where it comes from. Where does sin originate? Well, I believe that all sin ultimately originates in hell itself. Just as the devil is said to be the father of all lies, so he may be called the father of every our sin. It works like this. James tells us that every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. And then it says, when that lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. The Lord Jesus said, in the wicked heart of man, in your heart and in mine, the wicked heart of man, that's where sin flows out of. Try and picture a filthy sewer, and it is pumping out and pouring out its filth into the river and into the sea. And that would be a very grotesque, but a very accurate description of the human heart of man. Because the Bible says, in that great spiritual X-ray of the heart, God says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Who can plunge the depths of the wickedness of his own heart? You see, it never starts with God. James, in that passage already uh, referred to, he says, God tempts no man. He is not the author, nor is he the approver of sin. Sin always comes from hell itself, and it is unreasonable to embrace or to love sin coming from such a source. The fact that it was forged in hell, made in hell, should send out an alarm signal to us. And then it is unreasonable, not only because of where it comes from, but it is unreasonable because of what it does. It alienates the soul from God. Remember what it says in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it is our sins and our iniquities that have separated us, alienated us from God. It brings the soul into bondage, into slavery. It hardens the heart of man, and it leaves him open to all kinds of arguments 
that seek to excuse sin or even to deny its very existence. And not only does it blight the soul, but it blights lives and it blights homes. Unreasonable because of what it does. It's unreasonable because of where it all ultimately leads. Again, to go back to James in that chapter 1, he continued his chain of events. Lust in the heart, conception, the birth of sin. And then he finishes with these words. Sin, when it is finished. Always remember there's an end. It's not just how you start, is it? Seems so good, so enticing. But sin, when it is finished. At the last, sin has the last word. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And that is an ultimately a reference to hell itself. Because we read in Psalm 9 and verse 17, it says of the wicked man, that man who has embraced his sin in a most unreasonable way, the wicked are turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. It says again, Matthew 25, verse 46, of those who remain in their sins, then it says, these all go away in the everlasting punishment. And when Galileo said that if such wrongdoing was present, well then, uh, he could hardly do anything else but to bear with them. That is, he would hear their cause. He would judge accordingly. And that judgment, uh, if necessary, would result, he would punish, he would teach, he would deter what well, seems as we look at Galileo here, our, our first thoughts of him, of what he was saying, well, he gets the tick, doesn't he? He's, he's impressive up to now. He's got off to a good start, the justice that he displayed. But then we have here in verse uh, 15, however, the ignorance that he displayed. The ignorance that he displayed. Because he says there, uh, but but, and uh, you know, the old but's in there are very kind of significant, isn't it? But on the other hand, that's what he's saying. If it be a question of words and of names and of your law, that is your Jewish law, then look ye to it. I will be the judge, or I will not be the judge of such matters. I think we must differentiate here between Galileo the judge keeping strictly to what his remit was, not prepared to go any further than he had the power to do, but see him not only as a judge, but to differentiate between him as a judge and as Galileo as a private individual, as a man. And it's here that it'll serve his best as a man. For he thought, as many do, that the difference between the gospel scheme of evangelical, biblical Christianity and all the other religions that are out there is merely one of words and names. That's all he could see was the difference. He's looking there, he's peering at it, and he can see no difference. Just a matter of words and of names. But a more deadly thought could not be imagined. You see, in verse 13, he 
If you go back to verse 13 there, the Jews accused Paul of preaching contrary to the law, that is, to the Roman law, because he was preaching the very opposite of what the Jews were preaching. And in other words, they were seeking, and now officially, to distance their message, which was legally acceptable by Roman law. You just couldn't start your own religion in Roma, under Roman law. You needed to have the permission of the state. And the Jews had that. And now they're saying, there's a vast difference between us and Paul here. This man's preaching contrary to our religion, and therefore it's illegal, and he ought to be banned, thrown into prison, and so on. Now that's very enlightening tonight, isn't it? You see, up to now, Christianity had just been seen as a little kind of subset of the Jewish religion. And now the Jews have said, oh, no, 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 nothing to do with us. But what was Paul preaching? What was Paul preaching? The first thing that Paul was preaching was a crucified Messiah. He went to Psalm 22, if you were to hear Paul. First place he always went was into the synagogue. And he would have had his opportunity to preach. And I, I have no doubt that on many an occasion he would have said to the good folk gathered there, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 22. And he would have read those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And they stir and they see my bones of my hands and my feet and have pierced me. And the wild bulls of Bashan and the wild dogs have surrounded and they're snarling at me. And from Psalm 22, he would have preached the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or he might have went to Isaiah 53. And there, like Philip the Evangelist, next chapter 8, beginning at that same scripture, preach unto those gathered, preached unto them Jesus, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He would have went to Psalm, or our Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, where we read that Messiah, Messiah would be cut off, that is, excommunicated, forsaken, forsaken of God, but not for himself, for it was a substitutionary death. You see, Paul said that he made Christ and him crucified a central plank of his preaching. In fact, he says, I was determined, I was determined to know nothing among them save Christ and him crucified. And that never sat well with the Jews. They thought it was a horrible blasphemy, but it's not because it's the only means whereby God can be just, and yet the justifier, the forgiver of the sins of His people. There's no other way but this, because our Savior suffered the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. The just for the unjust, He dies in the tree. He's my way to God, and He's, and he's God's way to me. Because in Calvary's cross he bare our sins and he paid the great price of our redemption by the shedding of his blood. He preached something else. Having set forth the fact of a crucified Messiah, he preached salvation by grace alone 
through faith in Christ alone. You say, well, what were the Jews preaching? Well, they were preaching salvation by the keeping of the law of God. They were preaching salvation by church rituals and sacraments and large doses of self-help. And maybe tonight that's ticking your boxes. You say, oh, I can identify with these, G these Jews because that's my salvation plan. That's the route that I think I should go down. And that's often expressed in phrases like this. I, well, I do my best. I do my best. I don't, I, I don't do anybody any harm. Well, the Apostle Paul preached the opposite. He majored a man's guilt. He wouldn't have felt comfortable preaching, listening to Paul preach. He, he majored on the guilt of man and a man's moral and spiritual inability either to save himself or even to contribute to his own salvation. When you heard the apostle Paul preaching, you would have been greatly humbled, and you would have seen yourself in the place where God puts us as guilty worms of the dust, with the only hope often saved by casting ourselves on the undeserved mercy of God. The hymn writer wrote those words, as he faced the facts, he said, Mercy, mercy had saved me, or else I must die. And it's this message that makes Bible Christianity contrary to Judaism and the every other religion on earth. You can't, you can't dismiss these differences as mere semantics, a little religious storm and, and, and a little religious teacup. That's unfortunately the road Galileo was going down. But words really matter. Because if you take words like redemption, and you take words like saved, and words like grace, if you take them out of the Bible, you cut out all those little verses that had them, you, you scored them out, you blackened them out, we're all lost forever. Eternity in the dark. No, we've got to give them their full biblical meaning and worth. Apostle Peter spoke about those elsewhere who rested. That is, they tortured the, the, the Scriptures to their own destruction. Not only the words matter, names matter too. Oh, he says, if this just be a, a matter of, of words and names, but names matter because there's only one solitary name alone in which salvation is found. The Bible says, whosoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name of the Lord is the strong tower into which the righteous run and are saved. And Peter said concerning that precious name of the Lord Jesus, neither is there salvation and any other, no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We see here thirdly, moving on quickly, the departure which Galileo enforced. Because it says there in verse 16, when he had said what he said, look what it says there, he drove them from the judgment seat. Again, legally as judge, he could have just said, case dismissed, Lifted his little hammer, banged the court, 
desk and then just ordered the, the court to be cleared. And it was time for you to get up and get out the door because he cleared the courtroom. And really, uh, of course, he was driving away the accusers and to a lesser degree, he was driving away Paul. Now, providentially, there is a very sad matter, I think, to be noted here. Because by his own hand, Galileo never got to hear Paul defend himself. And he never got to hear him preach. For the two generally blended themselves into the one. Because look what happened there in verse 14, the opening words. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he's standing in the dock, he's just about to ready, he's maybe smoothing out his notes or something like that, and he opens his mouth, and then in jumps Galileo. He says, look, you shouldn't be here. This case is dismissed. I'm not here to sort out these little problems as we saw there in the previous point. The debate was guillotined. And I think this is sad because I have no doubt that Paul would have preached the gospel. In those other cases that we referred to, chapter 25, and again in chapter 26, he got his chance to speak. He said, I'm very happy to be here to defend myself. And he gave his testimony, and he talked about Jesus and about the things of God. Poor old darkened, benighted Galileo. Had he listened, he might have said of Jesus, which the centurion said at the cross. Had he heard that story of the cross, truly, truly this was the Son of God, leading prayerfully to the great addition. Not only truly this is the Son of God, but the Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. Now, you're sitting in a gospel meeting. Here I trust by choice. You have heard what a Galileo effectively robbed himself of hearing for, and one way or another in the meeting, we're setting forth the cross and the way of salvation. The old hymn writer wrote the words and said, Sing them over again to me. Repeat them unto me. The wonderful words of life. But Galileo here the court. Notice, fourthly, the violence which Galileo witnessed. He drove them from the mercy, or from the judgment seat. Verse 17, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. We're still assuming that Galileo was seated there. And that seems a safe thing to do. He didn't care enough to intervene. I mean, all these boys, if he can clear the court and drive them out of it, he's got a lot of weight behind him. But is he witnessing this? Well, he didn't do anything to stop a poor man who had no need to be beaten. Uh, didn't, he didn't intervene. And it's very unlikely that he would care enough to think the implications of what he saw. What he's witnessing here is man's hatred of God. Because the Bible says men are haters of God. Mere religion can only disguise it, but it cannot cure it. And that's why we need to be born again. And he would have witnessed an absence of argument against 
the stamps of Paul. And that was nothing new. I know it says there it was the Greeks who did the beatings, but the Jews could do it too. And Paul, when he went to places, he reasoned with men. He reasoned with men. We've already had that word reason, hadn't we? Well, that's what Paul did. He would go into places and he would reason from the Scriptures. That's what he did in the synagogues. He was only saved in, in, in Acts chapter 9. And in verse 20, he's in the synagogue in Damascus and he's reasoning with the people. He's proving mightily so that the Jews couldn't answer him that Jesus was the very Christ. And he did it again in the previous chapter, there, 17. And nobody could answer him from the Scripture, from the Old Testament, because the things that he taught concerning Christ were true. And when men turn to violence, it's, a, it's like a surrender flag. You've said, I'm beat. All I can do is just answer with my fists and my feet. The argument was lost. These were the things Galileo witnessed. And he, he should have thought about that too. And then fifthly and lastly here, the apathy of Galileo was confirmed. It says he drove them from the mercy seat. They beat this man up in verse 17. These are the last words we have of Galileo. They're concerning him. Galileo cared for none of these things. Maybe that was just the beating of soft and knees. Well, he could have done something. Maybe he thought, well, just a price to pay. No use getting, having a little trouble, making it into big trouble. But certainly, if it related to the gospel, well, then it could hardly be any sadder. Just to shrug the shoulders, get the little gospel track in the hand to read the story of Jesus. Sit in the church and hear the singing, the hymns, the solo, the reading of the Bible, the preaching of the same. And just to say, so what? Couldn't care any less. That's apathy. That's neglect. That's neglect. And the scripture is very clear. How shall we escape if we neglect? We care not the gospel of Christ. See, here's the reality. He things cared about him. They concerned him. They, they, they can't be dismissed. Oh, you can chase them out of your mind. You can shut out the, the preacher. You can refuse to darken the door of a church. Refuse to answer the door when the, evan when the evangelist comes and rings the bell. Turn off the, the mind from thinking about these things. They still concern you. They don't go away. And one day they must be faced, and the last can be faced when there's too late to do anything about it. Oh, don't be a Galio tonight. Don't be a Galio and care for none of those things. Say to yourself, I have a soul to be saved. There's a vast eternity out there, a yawning grave awaits me. And I need to get into Christ the only place of refuge and safety. Flee to him tonight. Call upon him tonight, and you will be saved. You know, the happiest man in that court was the Apostle Paul. Because no matter what happened, he could say no matter 
my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Don't you rest until you can say that too. And just where you're sitting where you are, even in the pew tonight, just you lift up your voice, your heart, the voice of your heart, silently, quietly, privately, between you and God, and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation. And Christ died upon the cross. He provided salvation to the very uttermost. Save me. Save me for Jesus' sake. And he'll do it. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or if you want to talk with us afterwards, well, there's supper afterwards. We'll not be in any big hurry away. And if you want to be saved, or you want something clarified, well, we'll be very, very happy to take the time. But don't leave the house of God unconverted. Seek ye the Lord while he is to be found, and call ye upon him while he is near. We're going to bow our heads in prayer. This part of the meeting will be over, and then we'll give thanks for the, the food that the Lord has provided for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God this evening, the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Bless and use it, Lord, to every heart we would pray. And we thank you, Father, now for the food that thou hast supplied. Let us eat and drink to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mr. McIntyre, Anything? You're waving your Bible there. You're waving the hymn book at me. Sorry, I've misread that. That's okay. The meeting's over. Thank you very much for listening. That was. That's right. so where are we going to? Down to the door.